0: Kia ora and welcome to the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I am your host, Jordan. I am mum to two beautiful little boys, Jai and Ali. I also host the Your Birth Project online hypnobirthing course and the Mini Kiwis First Aid course for parents of under five-year-olds. And I have an online store attached to Your Birth Project, which encompasses everything pregnancy, birth and postpartum related. So just absolutely love that side of the business. I'm also a very, very passionate storyteller and a lover of all things birth. So hence why I am leading you on this podcast. I'm not an advocate for any particular type of birth or model of birth care. I am simply here to hold space for this platform for you to share your beautiful stories with us all. You'll hear stories of joy, of heartbreak, of love, of loss, and each family has a different experience to share. I'm trying to bring to light stories that we often only tell in the darkest of places or to our closest of friends, but really are so important for everybody to hear. So I hope that you love the podcast of these beautiful families all over Aotearoa and I will let you jump into the podcast now. Enjoy. In today's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Cecilia and Cecilia takes us through quite a journey with her family to their three beautiful children that are earthside. So just a warning that in today's episode, we will be talking about Uh, stillborn babies and yeah pregnancy loss so if this doesn't sound like the episode for you then you might want to skip this one but Cecilia takes us through her pregnancy and birth stories so she has an emergency cesarean section with her son Tom so she talks through her labor and birth story there and then into two pregnancy losses at quite a late stage um, around 20 weeks both times and only one year apart from one another so she talks through obviously the grief and trauma surrounding that and also uh, finding medical reasons why these pregnancy losses might be occurring so she talks us through all of that and then into falling pregnant with her daughter who is with us Earthside, side and that was a elective caesarean section so we discuss that in depth and uh, talk through carrying that pregnancy and the sort of anxiety that surrounded that and then we discuss uh, her decision to try for a third baby. So they're a very busy family and they've got um, some very big businesses on the go. So we talk through trying for another baby um, and what that looks like and that decision and then uh, the different medications that Cecilia was able to take to support that. So her final birth is an elective caesarean, again, um, with some complications post-birth uh, and some suspected health-related issues with her son, um, which she obviously talks through as well. So there's a whole heap of information in this episode. Um I hope that you enjoy it. I'd love to hear your feedback and obviously just heart goes out to Cecilia and her family for what she talks through today but I do hope that you get something from this episode and if you want to talk to me about it feel free to send me an email KiwiBirthTales at gmail.com or an Instagram message at kiwibirhtales. Otherwise let's jump into the episode. Hey Cecilia thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. No worries. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who is in your family?
1: Well, um, I've got a family of five. So my youngest is Charlie and he's just seven months, seven and a half months mm-hmm. almost. Um, my second is um, Layla; She's my middle child. She's um, almost six. And my oldest um, son is Thomas. He's nine and a half, turning 10 in August. And then, of course, it's my husband, James. So that's my family. Um and yeah, we've actually all got COVID currently, so it's an interesting oh. time for us.
0: <laughs> How yeah. are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling okay. I don't think I'm really allowing myself to kind of stop and oh, um, yeah. be sick because with everyone being sick, you can't really afford that time. So, yeah, but look, uh, I hope you're on the mend.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's such a shitty time for everyone at the moment, but hopefully you yeah, guys are be better soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and what was the um, journey like to pregnancy for you and James? Do you just want to talk us through, yeah, what the sort of initial stages were like for you?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, um, my husband and I met quite young. Um, You know, I was 20. He was 24 at the time. We were married by the time I was 23, and um, he was 27. when We started trying for children pretty quickly, and we kind of – I would say I had suffered quite a few early, um, pregnancy losses in that process. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you'd get to, you know, six weeks maybe and then start bleeding and it would be really disappointing. And it was a really hard process at the time. And I Mm -hmm. remember thinking I was so young, you know, I was only 24, 25 and I was wondering why that was happening and, you know, was there something wrong with me and then, um, after a few years um, we connected with fertility associates and did a lot of investigations and we were diagnosed with unexplained fertility issues, which in hindsight I would probably describe was endometriosis, but it just wasn't diagnosed with that process. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then subsequently I went on clomiphene or clomid, and um, luckily um, conceived our son Thomas. And so, yeah, so that was quite an interesting journey. And for us, after having Tom, and I guess we'll talk about this in more depth, but, um, you know, I, I, Tom was about 18 months and, you know, we were very busy at the time and, you know, everyone always says that it happens when you least expect it. And, you know, I, I blissfully fell pregnant naturally and, um, you know, we were very excited about that and, um, unfortunately had a stillborn baby, um, at 20 weeks. Mm. Um, So yeah, so we've gone for a journey, and then the following year we had a late pregnancy loss at uh, four and a half months, so 17 weeks, and then of course we've gone on to have Layla and Charlie since then, so it's been a really um, quite intense journey for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, that does sound intense, and we'll definitely um, cover those too. I guess if we just talk a little bit about your conception with Thomas, so you were on Clomid and was it the first round of that that you felt pregnant with him? Do you just want to talk us through that sort of falling pregnant and how you felt in that first trimester?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I um, you know, having recognised, having had early stage pregnancies before Mm. you know, I didn't know what to expect going on Clomid and I think I fully expected that we'd end up doing IVF at that point and so it almost seemed like a miracle pill, the fact that I could just simply take these tablets and then have some monitoring and then conceive Mm. and so um it was at the time I thought it was just the most and still think it's an amazing blessing to be able to be given something like that and with Thomas um you know I felt quite unwell in that pregnancy from an early stage I was really um I was really quite nauseous um for the first 12 weeks I remember you know pulling over in the car and vomiting which is you know not like Mm -hmm. me at all um you know I remember you know, the discomfort that you feel, but also the enjoyment of being pregnant and seeing your body evolving and growing and, you know, uh, you know, subsequently, you know, with my latter pregnancies after we had our our stillborn daughter at 20 weeks, you know, that's kind of that that joy has been stolen. So Mm -hmm. I kind of treasure, I treasure the memories that I have from that period with Tom because my pregnancies felt really carefree and happy because my problem at that time, I believed, was getting pregnant and not staying pregnant. Yeah. And so yeah. it was a really, um, you know, it was quite a magical pregnancy, despite the fact that I felt unwell, despite the fact that I felt uncomfortable.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. And did you have a midwife for your care during that pregnancy?
1: <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, and the reason why I laugh is because things never go to plan, right? And so, you yeah. know, we sought out this amazing midwife and who philosophically fitted our, you know, our thought processes because. Um, you know, I think it's really important that you get someone that really aligns with you and who you mm-hmm. are and then um, of course on the day that I went into labour with Tom he was overdue by almost a week and um, it was a one day off that she had and it was her backup midwife um, who was on call instead mm-hmm. and so um, you know, that wasn't the best birthing experience to be completely honest, I mean mm-hmm. it ended with an emergency C-section with Thomas after 20 hours of labour and it was quite frightening that process and so you know that that process to go for as a woman can create a deep amount of trauma and you have to really look at that and understand how that impacts you you know
0: yeah for sure yeah and so in terms of that um that labor and birth so you obviously went into into labor before having the cesarean do you want to talk us through I guess yeah what that labor experience was like and then into a little bit about the cesarean
1: yeah, it's funny because I was one of those people, like my grandmother had a C-section with my mother and my mother had a C-section with me. And I remember my mum saying to me, oh, you just, you're basically never going to give birth, right? Like, it's unlikely for you to be able to give birth considering the family history. And I remember thinking, well, that's not true. Of course I can. woman mm-hmm. can, you know. And I felt even more assertive about the fact that I wanted to try. But at the same time, I had this hesitation around the fact, well, maybe there is something there that just means that, you know, I'm really going to struggle. And when I started going overdue with Tom, you know, I think I looked at it and I was just thinking, "Oh God, like where are we headed." And, you know, I kept being observed, and uh, you know, Tom was quite a big, large baby at the time. You know, he was three point nine three kilos, so like he was big, almost mm. four kilos at birth. And, um, and the midwives decided to plan in a C-section, and um, so I had an uh, upcoming um, planned C-section um, for ten days. Post me being overdue, but I went into as I said, um, labour a week after I was due. So you know that was an interesting experience, and I remember going into labour that night. You know, I'd. It's funny because um, the story goes. I've actually never really told my birth story, but I've told the story of Tom's birth quite a bit because mm-hmm. my husband and I founded a, ca- a company called My Food Bag, and oh, yes, my food yeah. bag. My food bag was. You know, it was something that I, I wrote the business plan for my food bag while I was, you know, just about to give birth to Tom. It was 10 days mm-hmm. away from his birth. Um, I literally clicked send on, uh, not send, save on the business plan, um, on the night that I went into labor. Oh, wow. And <laughs> it, it was 8 p.m. at night and by midnight that night I was in labor.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, so I just, you know, I think, and I almost think my body was like, you're not ready yet. Like you have mm-hmm. to complete it. So, yeah. And so I went into labour that night and I remember thinking, oh, wow, this is what it feels like, you know, this is what women go through, you know, how incredible, but also how painful, right? Um, And, um, you know, waiting at home for the right time to go in and then, you know, being basically almost unable to walk to the car without my husband, you know, kind of dragging, half-lifting me into the car to go to hospital and only to arrive at hospital and to realise that I was only three centimetres dilated. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Yeah 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 and so did they let you stay in hospital or did they send you home what sort of happened
1: it was actually interesting I mean we we called our midwife and called her and called her and she didn't pick up and then we called the backup midwife only to realize that that was a person that was on call that night Mm. and uh, because I was in a large amount of pain I was admitted that night into hospital or that early morning into hospital and so um I was admitted into hospital and, you know, my waters didn't break, you know, um, my labour wasn't progressing other than the fact that I was in a significant amount of pain and, you know, they tried to break the washer uh, and ended up actually kind of nicking Tom's head in the process. Um, And, you know, we kind of had a series of mishaps which ended up with, as I said, an emergency C-section, you know, the room going from being fairly calm and, one minute, and then the next five minutes where they're being deep concerned both for me and for the baby, and being wheeled off into theater, so you know I think as a woman, you know you, you can wish for the best experience for you and for your baby, and you can hope with all your you know heart that things will go to plan, but I think you know ultimately, we have to realize that things don 't always go to plan and and for me, it was really important to be in that right environment where they could take action quickly because you know I was told subsequently that if it hadn't been you you know Tom Tom and I or Tom or I wouldn't have been here today and that's a terrifying change
0: yeah 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 for sure and so they obviously took you into the um, operating theater and delivered Tom and did they pop him up on your chest or what what sort of happened once they had him out was it still an emergency in terms of like checking on him yeah what happened from there?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, Tom was actually, uh, and we've had varying births here, and it's quite interesting when you compare in hindsight, Tom was healthy when he was delivered, and Mm -hmm. they caught it in time, and he was crying, you know, Mm -hmm. Layla was born and wasn't breathing properly, so that was a whole different experience, Mm -hmm. had different experience across all three of them, actually, but Tom, at birth, was um, the healthiest one, and so he um, he weighed a lot, I mean, I wasn't feeling terribly well, if I'm completely honest, and I think to me, the deepest trauma that I have from my birth isn't necessarily around that process, but it was about the fact that, you know, I had him very late at night. It was 8.30 at night and, you know, that's when he was born and then, you know, the surgery takes place. I mean, actually getting the baby out is the quickest part of it. Anybody yeah. will tell you that takes five minutes, but when they're doing the wrap-up post-to-C-section, that's what takes time. And so, you know, I, you know, they'd finished kind of the surgery by 9, 9.15 and then you're in recovery until an hour post your surgery and then they kicked my husband out at 11 o'clock at night and he wasn't allowed to play with me in hospital. Um, And I remember, you know, Tom was quite phlegmy and had jaundice and the nurses kept calling him the the nurse on call that night, not all the nurses. And I don't want to generalise, there was one nurse in particular that kept calling Tom the phlegm baby Mm. um, because he was quite phlegmy, um, obviously not having gone for the birth canal. So... Look, the trauma of them being left by yourself with your newborn baby after a traumatic birth, um, after going for an emergency C-section and major surgery, not being able to care for yourself, not being able to get out of bed, not knowing Mm. how to breastfeed, and then being told that my husband couldn't say was uh, completely traumatising.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would imagine that there'll be quite a few people out there that can definitely relate to that that part of your story. And how long did you end up needing to spend in hospital after that?
1: Um. Well, if I'm completely honest, uh, I was determined because um, it was such an awful experience that I would get out of Auckland Hospital as quickly as I possibly could. And um, basically by the next day, because I'd made it clear that James wasn't allowed to stay, um, by the next day, by 10 o'clock in the morning, and I've seen the photos subsequently and my husband thought I was crazy, but I had got myself out of bed and showered and told him that we were leaving to go to birth care because I couldn't Mm. stand being there without him. And so that's what actually happened.
0: Yeah. 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 And so did you spend a couple of nights in birth care and did you think that that was a valuable experience?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at the time it was invaluable to us and, yeah. you know, I, you know, I mean, look, I've been a nanny and I've been an au pair and I've babysat other children, but like when you have a baby, I mean, you'd know this, do you want, that <laughs> it's crazy. Like you, you yeah. you're suddenly responsible for the smaller human being. You don't even know how to bath them. I mean, yeah. and I'm not sure if my husband, I certainly hadn't held a, a baby of that age before when they're just newborn. And so, um, birth care, that first time that we had Tom was invaluable. They taught us how to bath him, how to change him, how to take care of him. And, and that made a huge difference for us yeah. and, and made us feel confident going into the days ahead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And how did you find those first few, you know, weeks and months adjusting to being a mother and taking your baby home and obviously recovering from surgery? Like there's just so much change and things to go through in that process. So how did you find, yeah, those first few weeks and months?
1: Well, I mean, I think the hardest part for me has always been that I haven't disconnected from work. And so Mm. with all of my pregnancies, I've always kind of continued to be on call. And, you know, we took Tom into work two weeks after he was born. And by the time he was four weeks, we were pitching the idea for my food bag to the board of OPLink um, that we had at that point in time. And so... Tom kind of slotted on and it was, you know, I have always said that I'm a really terrible pregnant person. I'm not good at being pregnant and I struggle with that process other than with Tom's pregnancy where I actually enjoyed it. But um, but um, I actually, I, I love I love being a mum and, and in the aftermath of going through that birth with Tom, I felt so lucky that we were both well and that everything mm. had gone to plan. Um, and I've always been quite focused in terms of, you know, creating stability for us and for our family. You know, I personally thrive fly, fly off routine. And so, you know, from an early stage with Tom, you know, I had an idea for the way that I wanted to, you know, support and parent him. Yeah. And, you know, for that reason, he slept really well. He was quite a content baby and he made it quite easy for me. Um, And so that was, you know, that was a reward for a really difficult process, um, you know, at the end with Tom, I think.
0: I have a very small business in comparison to anything that you um, <laughs> you've ever run. It. but um, you've got an
1: amazing platform! Don't say yeah, that. You've got thank to- you.
0: <laughs> it's um, you know, it's still a huge juggle, and I can sort of relate in terms of not taking like time off or away from the business. So, how did you juggle that? Um, you know, working and having a baby and a newborn and yeah, recovery yourself.
1: It's really hard. I mean, I'm lucky to work with my husband and we share the load. And today that we have three kids, you know, we share the load and we still juggle. Um, But, you know, it is really hard. And I think the way that I've coped with it, you know, when I had Tom a decade ago, the theme of the day was, you know, work-life balance. Everybody needs Mm work-life balance. Bullshit. There's no such thing as balance. It's just integrating life and work together, right? And being quite transparent about how that works, you know, just like I said to you, I'm really sorry that I have to push this time out today. But, Charlie's sleep time is nine thirty. Uh oh, no, sorry, nine I had gone from nine thirty to nine fifty. So I just knew that I'd be distracted holding on to him and not being oh. able to have a proper conversation with you. And so it's a juggle. And I think part of that is just being transparent about the fact that it's not always easy, but it's certainly worthwhile.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. Awesome. And did you always plan on having more than one um child? What was the sort of thoughts around trying to fall pregnant again and yeah, what what happened there?
1: Yeah, I mean, we were um, we were once we had Tom, we kind of looked at each other. When I want you know, when when I stopped breastfeeding Tom, he was about nine ten months, and so when I stopped breastfeeding him, we kind of looked at each other and said, "Oh well, if I fall pregnant, then that's a blessing." And mm. considering the track record that we've had, that's probably unlikely. And so we'll just roll the dice and see what happens. And you know, we've always wanted at least two children, and you know, we're blessed with three today. And, um, and so when I fell pregnant, when Tom was 18 months, I was initially shocked. In fact, I didn't even realize I was pregnant with James. (laughs) He looked at me and he said, gosh, you know, your boobs have got massive. (laughs) And, And I was like, no, they haven't. He's like, when did you last have your period? And I was like, I don't know. And, you know, and then I took a pregnancy test and there it was. And, you know, we were absolutely delighted and even more so delighted, you know, when we went, um, you know, if the first care scan and saw that we were expecting a healthy baby and that everything looked good, you know, like that was just, I remember that feeling to this day and, you know, um, it was incredible. And we were even told during that scan that we were going to have a daughter and, and I was super excited about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And did you go decide to go with a midwife for that pregnancy?
1: Um, so what actually happened was that we were in a quite an awkward position because because of what had happened with Tom, the midwife after that birth um came and saw me and she said, Look, you should never attempt natural birth again.
0: Um, right. you know, with
1: your files and you yeah. should never attempt natural birth again, it would be dangerous for you. It would be dangerous for the baby, and so we really recommend that you go for an obstetrician next time. And I thought that was really good. It was quite transparent and she shared mm-hmm. with me the concerns that she had at that point. And so um we enlisted with a private obstetrician in Auckland. Um, and we actually ended up subsequently moving um, through the pregnancy at about 14 weeks. We moved over to Australia, and we and we went and saw an obstetrician in Australia. And so it was actually in Australia where we had our stillborn daughter, and we uh, we went through that process. And um, yeah, it was um, probably to this day the most traumatizing experience of my life, and yeah. something yeah, it's just you know I. You know, grief is you know so individual, and I still struggle to talk about it. And part of the reason mm. why I struggle to talk about it now is because it's you know I believe that you're on a journey, and your journey brings you to the destination that you're meant to go to. And you know, we had three girls. I conceived three girls in a row. You know, I had mm. first baby that we lost at 20 weeks, a second baby that we lost at 17 weeks, and then we were blessed with Layla. And I don't know. I just Maybe she was just meant. Maybe she just kept coming back to us, you know.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, I guess if we just chat a little bit around the pregnancy loss, was it um, was it just you know totally unexpected? You had an otherwise healthy pregnancy, and oh, um, yeah. honestly,
1: like it was just it was like lightning from a blue sky. Yeah. I mean, I've never experienced something so unexpected. We. Mm. You know, I'd had a a really good 12-week scan, as I said. Um, The baby was measuring beautifully. They confirmed that it was a baby girl. They did all the tests on her. She was beautiful and healthy and perfect. And 17 weeks, we went in to see the obstetrician. The obstetrician listened to her heartbeat. Her heartbeat was fine. Um, There were no concerns. They measured everything. She was fine. And then at the 20-week scan... We, um, and I'll, I'll never forget it, it was the most random experience of my life. I remember sitting in this um, in this um, waiting room um, for the ultrasound and the people ahead of me were probably a good 10, maybe 15 years older than us and they were expecting twins and I could hear them talking excitedly about it. Mm. They went in and they did their scan and they came out and they were bouncy and happy and delighted and they'd clearly had some wonderful news. And I remember the anticipation of going in and, you know, putting the probe on my tummy and then realising that the baby wasn't moving, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing that I can, you know, express that kind of fully Mm. comprehends how bad that situation was, how bad it is to have something on your tummy that says that this little life that you're growing inside of you, that you're quite convinced that you felt kicking a week ago, suddenly gone. And, you know, the still image of it on the screen, um you know, the radiologist who looked at us and and quite calmly just said to us, oh, look, I can't find a heartbeat, but look, I'm just going to go and see a doctor and see what they say and if they can yeah. find it. And then literally going from that comment to the doctor coming into the room and telling us without even looking that the baby had passed away. Yeah. You know, they didn't even... They didn't even look. Like, I just thought that they'd find it, you know. The person yeah. you know, yeah. walked out of the room and said, oh, we'll see if we can, you know, I just thought that maybe she wasn't looking properly mm. or, I mean, God knows, right? And, like, there's a reason why they go through a process like this. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so I was um, I was in shock. And I remember just going into the bathroom and getting dressed and then, because we were in Australia at the time, just breaking into tears and then begging James to go home. Like, I was like, mm. please take me want to be here anymore I want to go home to New Zealand so yeah it was it was
0: just awful yeah that is so awful and did they like tell you what would happen next was there any other like aftercare that happened straight away or yeah what sort of it's
1: a really good question and it's and it's actually probably the hardest bit to talk about in a way because we you know, our obstetrician wasn't uh, at the ultrasound place where we went, and yeah. so we had to go home and see our son and our au pair at the time, who we love funny. And um, and James called the obstetrician, and they'd called the head the um, the, the, the place the radiologist had called the mm-hmm. head to our obstetrician, and um, we had to drive into the city in Sydney. and I remember, you know, in a daze walking into the building and and um and walking up the stairs and then seeing our obstetrician who the previous time it was as a husband and wife team and we'd seen the wife the prior time and this was the husband and and um and I never met him before and I felt like his you know my life was in this man's hands that I never met before Mm. I didn't know him and you know he was apologetic and empathetic and told us that you know this is like lightning from a blue sky and And, you know, like, you know, this shouldn't deter you from having more children and you're probably really lucky because, you know, your baby would have probably been born with some massive disability or there was a reason why, you know, and kind of justified why we were so lucky that we weren't having this baby that had been growing inside of me. Mm. And then he went on to spend what I would describe as a good hour um, telling me why I needed to give birth to the baby. Right. And... And this is quite an interesting point because what a lot of people don't understand when you go through this trauma is that there's actually a level of choice here for you as a woman.
0: Mm.
1: And, you know, I made it quite clear early on in the process that I didn't want to give birth to the baby. I didn't need that foreclosure. And I'd already, as I told you, experienced an incredibly traumatic mm. birth. and I was scared and I've been told that I should never attempt that again. And so I was fearful of what that would do to me and to my body yeah. and to the baby and and i didn't feel like i needed to hold her or see her to be connected to her i felt like she was already there she was already Mm. part of us you know and so we argued with our obstetrician for about an hour um it was it was a pretty intense um standoff Mm. in the end my husband said to him and i so i adore my husband he's i'm the most privileged person to have such an amazing man in my life and he he basically said to him you know you can see how this is affecting my wife and Mm. if your wife what would you do you know would you make her force her to go for the surgery to go for the trauma of being in labor for five six seven eight nine ten twelve twenty four hours to have this baby or would you go for surgery and the man said well and then in the end our obstetrician said well if it was me i would opt for the surgery yeah and so um in Australia, and this is where, you know, that I can, unfortunately I'm in a position where I can compare the process between Australia and New Zealand. Mm. In Australia, this happened on a Thursday on the, it was late June. Um, and um, and with this was a Thursday appointment and they scheduled us in for the surgery the next day and they gave us heavy sleeping tablets to try to get through the night and I didn't sleep at all. Mm. And then I went into surgery the next day. And we had the baby removed, and um, and it was horrendous. Mm. And waking up from that and then, you know, knowing that she was gone and that my yeah. body would have to readjust. And, you know, I was fully yeah. showing, you know, I had a belly and I had big boobs. And mm. I, because I went to Australia, I had no normal clothing. All of my clothing was pregnancy clothing. Mm. You can imagine. Right? Yeah. So yeah. it was a level of trauma that is quite indescribable um and then again for it only to repeat a year later mm. to the day basically the, the girls were a year apart that, that yeah. I lost them yeah um, so yeah and in New Zealand when we lost our our second daughter here um you know they waited three nights before we could proceed with the surgery mm-hmm. and every night I had to go to bed knowing that I had a baby that wasn't alive yeah. and so I was dying, you know yeah yeah and yeah. that was just
0: awful well, yeah that is so awful gosh just oh my heart just absolutely breaks for you Cecilia I think yeah what a nothing no one should ever have to go through that and to have to do it twice is just yeah so so devastating I guess in terms of the second second time round in New Zealand like I can't even imagine how you recover from that but what was the process afterwards that like, you know you talk to the sort of fact that it's you know the highest level of trauma that someone could really ever go through and how do you how did you recover from that?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I can't even imagine if you lose your child or you know mm. giving birth at forty weeks. I mean, like there's there's a staggering here as well. But we, mm. when we um, we decided pretty um, quickly after we'd lost the baby that we still that we were ready for another child, in particular me. I was ready by the end mentally. And um, when we came back to New Zealand, um, we sought out fertility associates again, and I went on clomiphene. And, um, conceived, um, our second, um, our second baby. And it was, you know, it was, you know, for context, that first baby, I remember being in shock, you know, and I almost felt guilty about the fact that I'd lost the baby because I was so shocked about having her. And I remember that Mother's Day in May, before we had her that June stillborn, um, you know, James bought me this beautiful baby clothes for her. Mm. and and you know he was so excited about the pregnancy so when we decided to go ahead again you know I was tentative but excited about the prospect of you know being told that this wouldn't happen again that we were young yeah. and healthy and, fresh and that this was like lightning from a blue sky doesn't strike twice and so I felt confident about the fact that I was getting the right advice and that this wouldn't happen again mm. uh, and even more importantly that there was quite a simple solution for resolving this but I'll, I'll get to that a bit later but um But yes, I felt pregnant again, Um, again, managed by the same obstetrician group here. we return. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role,
0: like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com spoken today.
1: to Auckland because that was quite an important part for me to be able to yeah. mentally make this happen. Um, I remember going in and seeing my obstetrician about 13 weeks and saying that I didn't feel well and it being dismissed and we'd had a 12-week scan. It was beautiful. The baby, again, was measuring per- perfect to size. Yeah. Um, and they did, you know, proper, you know, measurements. Uh, it was another girl, you know, but I was terrified, right? I had this thing in my head where I believed that I couldn't carry a girl and that maybe yeah. that was the reason I'd lost the first child. And then, um, and then at 13 weeks, I sought out my, um, my obstetrician and said, look, I'm not feeling well, you know, something's wrong. I went in and saw her and they checked her again and everything was fine and they measured her and it was all good. And then she said, well, look, you know, we've just scanned you now and, you know, you're just being a bit, you know, um, concerned from what's happened last time and that's understandable. So, look, yeah. let's just look a reassurance scan and we'll do that at 17 weeks. And, um, and at 17 weeks we arrived um, at... Um, at the domain um, to conduct another ultrasound, and it actually even said. I remember having, you know, the slip that you have in your hands for your ultrasound, mm-hmm. where it says what they're doing, and it literally said on it, it said, "Mother is nervous, a reassurance scan, and then re- rebook for twenty weeks." Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I felt like I was being an idiot, like I was sure. being, yeah, you know, yeah. I was being, you know, uh, silly about the fact that I felt concerned about it. And so, you know, we walked in and we gave them our, you know, slip and. And we, and, you know, we sat down in the, in this chair and, you know, the radiologist who's a fantastic radiologist, a male radiologist, I can't for the life of me remember his name, but Mm. he um, put the probe on my tummy and immediately just went, oh, shit. Mm. And, um, you know, his reaction and empathy, because it was clear that he was shocked, um, actually actually helped me in that moment. It actually, it actually helped me. And, um, and they actually, because they share, um, a space with, um, AOC, who was my, um, obstetric group at that point, they went and straight away got my obstetrician, uh, who had given that slip. And, um, I remember crying and putting lipstick all over her top and mm. I kind of going, Oh my God, you put lipstick all over my top. Um, which was unintentional, right? But, yeah, you yeah. know, trauma. And then again, going through the same debate that we'd had in Australia. And I was like, I just am not, we're, we're not discussing this. I'm not giving yeah. birth to baby i'm not the fact that we're even at the same conversation again i, I mm-hmm. just couldn't fathom and i just said categorically that's not happening i'm not doing it it's not good for my mental health mm. it's not good for my physical health and yeah. i refuse to and it's not safe for me and advocated fiercely for myself for my mm. husband and and then um, they scheduled me for surger- surgery somewhat begr- begrudgingly. And um, and then we had that baby um, three days after we'd lost it. So, yeah, as I said, going to bed every night with this belly that was, mm. you know, at 17 weeks with a third baby, you're pretty yeah. pregnant, you know, yeah, you're not yeah. pregnant, and you go to bed and you can't sleep for three days because, you know, you've got this baby inside you. So, mm. yeah, traumatic on every level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I don't know, I guess – it's just so hard to fathom like you know having to experience it again and I can't even imagine what you were feeling at that time afterwards like when you go home and you know you've sort of been through another traumatic experience how did you how did you take steps like mentally to try and recover from that?
1: I remember coming home and um and tom who was um the second time around um he was almost three at this point he took my hand and he said mommy don't worry we'll go and find her oh. um and um oh god i'm actually teary because of those yeah. Conversations. Um, yeah. But yeah you know he just he took my hand and he said don't worry mum, it'll be okay you know we'll go find her we'll go on a hunt mm-hmm. and we'll go find her and um Tom's innocence and his sweetness helped heal, you know. He yeah. he asked me, you know, does this mean that mummy you can go on the trampoline with me again? Oh, little honey. <laughs> you know? And so yeah. he was incredibly sweet. And I remember James and I looking at each other and going that, you know, if this if 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 what we have is Tom, we're still the most blessed people in the world, right? And yeah. it doesn't take away from the fact that we still wanted more. Yeah. But we were so lucky that we had him and I can't even begin to imagine how this feels for people who don't have that to come home to, mm. you know, and who don't have that level of, you know, um, love and support in, in your family. Yeah. And so that definitely yeah. helped the healing process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And did you decide like at that point after two, um, you know, pretty late stage losses in pregnancy that you did want to try again or what, were yeah, where's your head at there?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, you'd, you know, where I immediately was angry. I felt yeah. really angry because it was clear to me at that point that there was something wrong and that yeah. it should have been discovered through this process. And, you know, I'm a very solutions oriented person. You know, that's my DNA yeah. pool. And so I immediately went on a hunt. And, you know, um, we contacted all of the specialists in Australia. Uh, We flew back over to Australia to see some of the most uh, um, senior people in the industry for late pregnancy loss. Yeah. Um, And, um, you know, I did several investigations. I did a whole suite of blood tests that were never requested in New Zealand. And in the end, uh, the Australian specialist actually ended up referring me back into the most phenomenal person who I absolutely adore, um, called Dr. Katie Groom at Ocon Hospital mm-hmm. and Dr. Katie Groom is a researcher and she deals with uh, the high-risk maternity unit at Ocon Hospital and she de- diagnosed me with basically what is a dysfunctional placenta like the placenta wasn't forming properly because I was right. struggling with blood flow through the placenta which explains why the baby was in all intents and purposes um, presenting as fine because mm-hmm. it just looked like a, maybe a smaller baby as the pregnancy progressed but as the the reality was that the blood flow wasn't coming through the placenta. Sure, yeah. And so we went and saw Katie and Katie said, well, look, you've been through, you know, insane trauma over the past 12 months. We lost mm-hmm. the babies. As I said, it was a year to the day. Basically, they were one day apart with me having surgery. Um, and so I remember um, having that conversation with Katie and Katie saying, well, look, maybe you guys should pause here. You know, mm-hmm. it takes time and, you know, think about it. And I remember James saying, well, you don't know my wife very well yet, mm-hmm. um, but she's not good at that. And, you know, she, she wants to go ahead. And, you know, we're really focused on growing our family. And um, I went back on clomiphene and uh, Katie had, had a plan. And the plan was that I would start with a drug called Clixine and um, aspirin. Aspirin are miracle okay. pills. and um, that I would start that uh, an early pregnancy alongside progesterone to try to maintain the pregnancy. And I got pregnant on Clomid with Layla um, very quickly again. Mm. And again, this was – but Layla was actually due in June. So she was due around the same time that we'd actually lost the girls, which was – another level of kind of weird mental trauma and to kind mm-hmm. of overcome it and ended up with late like actually being in early, early by, um, you know, 10 days or so um, as a May baby. But yeah, so um, so I went on um, aspirin um, and took an aspirin a day and um, had these injections into my stomach to improve blood flow for the placenta. Mm-hmm. And um, Clexine is quite an aggressive drug. It gives you pretty severe bruising. And so my stomach looked like I'd been, you know, hit on the stomach multiple times because I had big nasty bruises all, all over Ash. Um, and I, you know, and I, and I said this kind of at the start, I said, you know, I had such an enjoyable period with Tom when I was pregnant because I loved it, you know, like I loved being pregnant with him and kind of watched it evolve. But with mm-hmm. Layla, I was terrified every single day. I was terrified every single day. I was yeah. uncomfortable every single day. I looked in the mirror. I refused to look at the ultrasounds and, um, you know, until the doctor had confirmed that her heart was in dead beating. So, mm-hmm. you know, and being managed for the high risk maternity unit at Auckland Hospital, they saw us, um, every week or every other week, um, for the high risk period. And, you know, that trauma to go in and to look at that screen where, you know, we just seen two dead babies was, you know, difficult to say the yeah. least. And, yeah. you know, we worked through that and ultimately had an incredibly healthy baby in Layla. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: You know, um, so yeah (laughs) yeah amazing that she she was healthy and you know you've got your little girl um after all of that trauma it's just yeah it's just so crazy to think about and did you end up having a cesarean with her
1: yeah I did we ended up having a planned c-section with Layla um a week in advance so 10 days in advance of her expected birth and so um but we that, that kind of built that kind of built Layla would have been my worst actual c section because um because I was on a lot of blood thinners um oh, I yeah. Yeah. um I a lot on the operating table i mean i mean um and Layla wasn't breathing very well when when she turned purple and blue and didn't stop breathing on birth, which James didn't actually tell me he sheltered me yeah. from that thing well I asked you why isn't she crying where where is Layla mm-hmm. and because I'd initially put her on my chest and then suddenly she was whisked away and, and I was struggling to comprehend what was happening um, but obviously they got, got her breathing again and yeah. um, and you know we were we were we, were, we recovered well after that
0: yeah yeah and did you have a different experience in hospital this time around like I know that James wasn't allowed to stay last time and you were therefore only there for one night so what was it like this time?
1: Yeah, it was much better. Like we um, we, – I'd been prepared to immediately exit to go to birth care, but they actually let uh, – because of Katie and because of the past trauma that we'd been through, mm. um, I think there was a level of more generosity there towards us, and so James was allowed to stay. We stayed a night in Auckland Hospital, um, and then um, we transferred over to birth care again for another three nights. Yeah. Um, I think we probably wouldn't have transferred over for as long in hindsight. We didn't really mm. need to be there for as long, and we really missed Tom. Um and, um, but it was, you know, it was, um, it was a nice time to be able to just get to know Layla and have that time together as well.
0: Yeah. 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 And how did you adjust to having two children and, um, you know, bringing her home and recovering from your surgery and yeah, learning to be a mum to a newborn again. What was that experience like?
1: Um, look, I just felt so grateful. Like yeah. by the time we had her, I was, so grateful for the fact yeah. that she was finally there and that she was earthside and that she was safe and that you know, somehow this beautiful gift had ended up eventuating and I think mm. I clung to the idea that maybe it's just been later spirit, maybe she's just a fighter and she just kept coming back to us in the end yeah. and I think that really shaped our parenting and how we felt about it because I just felt blissfully happy you know. and I know so many of my friends have struggled with postnatal depression and the pressure and I totally understand that and Honestly, I mean, particularly right now when I'm in the midst of COVID with three kids, it's intense. But, you know, the gratefulness that we felt over the fact that she was there and that she was safe and that she was whole was just beyond belief, you know. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how did Tom adjust to being a big brother?
1: Oh, he was amazing. Like, he was so excited. And I think, I mean, he didn't really comprehend the first time that we lost the baby because he was so little. He was just about to turn two by the time. I lost the baby, and so he didn't comprehend that. But certainly by the time, as I said, when we lost the second baby, he was aware, and by this point in time, when we had Layla, he was almost four, and so he was dying for a little sibling. He was so excited to have her, and he's always cherished um, her, and they have, gosh, I mean, Layla hero-worships her brother Mm to this day. I mean, it's almost to the degree where it's, you know, it's amazing. Like, I've never seen a child hero-worship her older brother the way that Leila hero worships him. And so they've got a really special relationship. And so, you know, when we would jokingly bring up with Layla and Tom that we might consider having a third, you know, they were totally not on board with it. In fact, Layla didn't even like me. <laughs> <baby>. she, <kept, laughs> she was the cutest person in the whole family and that she didn't want competition. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's been pretty special.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. And how did you go um, with work this time around? Did you sort of just stick to the same plan around having a routine and um, sharing the load with James. Yeah. What was it like adding another one to your family there?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, honestly, it was a tough time because my food bag was in the midst of growth mode. This is four years into my food bag Mm. and we were in the middle of a massive transaction selling part of our shareholding to Waterman Capital. Um, You know, I was CEO at that point of a company that was turning over, you know, $130 million after Mm. being in business for a couple of years um, together with James you know, we were doing tens of thousands of deliveries. It was really intense. And Layla would come to work with us, you know. Um, we had a nanny who helped support, um, in particular with Tom. Um, but I've always wanted to be there. Um, and hence mm. why even today with Charlie, we don't have a nanny. I mean, he's seven and a half months, as I said, and I yes. just juggle. But now I'm at a point where I actually need help. I know I need help now. Yes. But, yeah, so we juggled. We make it work. I mean, I think there's a level of transparency there back to your team that you're not a super person and that you know it's shitty sometimes and it's hard but you know you want to encourage that as well um so yeah so it was it was a juggle but I look back at it quite fondly nowadays and I think that it was a really magical time yeah yeah
0: yeah and I know that you've got little Charlie now who's a very similar age to Ali um so do you want to talk us through yeah um did you decide that you wanted to have a third or what was the process there
1: it's a really funny thing because I when um Layla was about 18 months I'd had severe office I'd I'd suffered from really heavy bleeding post having Layla Mm. and I was diagnosed with this um, endometriosis problem which is a whole other story about endometriosis but I'd basically gone in for surgery for them saying that I had scar tissue post having Layla when actually and it was a general (laughs) surgeon and he was like oh I'll just put you under like a local and we'll take away Mm. the scar tissue and I was quite stressed and he ended up um, I ended up in surgery for an hour and a half, and he ended up removing this massive amount of endometriosis, which was unplanned oh, yeah. surgery. Um, and so I went and saw a a, a women's health specialist um, in Central Auckland. She's now retired, but um, I went and saw her about my problem for bleeding, and she said to me, "Oh, well, look, um, you know, oh, this is horrendous, by the way." But she said to me, "Oh, so you know, how old are you now?" And I was like, "I must have been, so I must have been thirty-three, maybe." Mm-hmm. And um. And you've got two healthy kids? I said, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. And she said, oh, well, would you consider having more? And I said, yeah, well, we've talked about having three and we thoroughly enjoy being parents. And she said, well, I actually categorically recommend that you don't have three children. I think if you have another child, that would be putting your health at risk and the potential baby at risk. And, right. you know, I don't, I don't think that you can have another successful pregnancy and, you know, you should just put that idea to bed. And, you know, you already have two children, so why would you add another one to the world? Yeah, wow. yeah. And I remember coming out of that appointment in tears and I was so yeah. upset. And I was, and I didn't actually question it. And it took me several years for me to even question it. And then, mm. and then Layla was four and Thomas was almost ish And I would said to James that he needed to go and get the snip, you know, because we were done with our family and mm. we'd agreed that this was it and I couldn't have more kids. And he was actually lined up to go and have a snip. And so I tell this as a story, which is like how a man gets out of, you know, getting the stuff. So <laughs> he lines me up for lunch and then over lunch he says to me, Well, are you sure? Like are you done? Is this really it? Like are we not gonna have a third? Mm-hmm. And I said, Well what do you mean? And he was like, Well, you know, like do you wanna do you wanna consider having a third? Should we get another opinion? And so I was like, Yeah, well I would love to. And so we went down the track of getting three separate opinions on whether or not I could have another child and we scaffolded that around our obstetrician that had helped us have Layla, and some other women's health specialists around the process that we need to undertake. And then we just said, well, we won't go for clomid this time. We'll just see if it happens. And if it happens, it's meant to be. And if it doesn't, it's not. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was kind of in June, July of 2020. And in the middle of the pandemic, we were like, well, you know, we're probably grounded in New Zealand for quite a long time anyways. It's not really mm-hmm. going to change much in that yeah, regard really. you know and then um almost unexpectedly because I don't think we thought that it would actually happen I fell pregnant with Charlie in in January of that year of, wow. um 2021 actually uh, December 2021 20, yes. uh, December 2020 um yeah. and found out in January 2021 and um and I think we were both blown away and then you know we went through the process of pregnancy and I was always convinced because, you know, we'd had three girls in a row that we'd have another girl, right? It was logical, Mm. not a logical person. I'm like, well, clearly we, you know, we must have had three girls. Tom was an anomaly and, you know, we'll have another girl. Mm. And I remember getting his 10-week, you know, the harmony tests that you do and scaring the living daylight out of James because I called James and I said, oh, my God, you have to come home. Like I've just read the results for the baby and like, oh, my God, you have to come home. And he's like, oh, my God, is this? Wrong, and I was like, "No, it's nothing wrong." But I need to talk to you. And he's like, "Well, tell me. Don't just." (laughs) I said, "It's a boy." I was like, "It's a boy. I'm in shock. We're having another boy." And he goes, "Oh my god! I actually thought there was something wrong, right?"
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So,
1: um, but I basically just said to him, "I just, I just couldn't. I was just, I was delighted and shocked, and Mm. you know, so many emotions. And I also, to be honest, felt." weirdly more comfortable about the pregnancy because I didn't feel as scared that it was going to go wrong because we never had a problem with Tom. Mm. And so this pregnancy I was on aspirin, but we decided not to do Kleksone because Katie said that the evidence since we'd had Layla pointed to the fact that I didn't need to do Kleksone and that aspirin would be enough of a magical pill to be able to do the pregnancy. And because there are other potential risks of taking a drug like Kleksone when you when you're thinning your blood, you know, if you have a different accident, um, you know, surgery is quite difficult. Yeah. So like of other kids, you know, we decided that I would just go on aspirin and we proceeded to have Charlie, um, but had a whole other level of trauma post his birth. So it's been, we, it's been a really interesting journey because Charlie's pregnancy was my best pregnancy. It was Mm. my best birth. Like we, um, you know, I, I was really healthy through the pregnancy. Um, I enjoyed it more than what I'd done with Layla. You know, even if I was scared, and you know, it was a planned C-section. And you know, because I wasn't on Linctics and I didn't just bleed yeah. as much as I did before. Um, but but after we had Charlie, they identified something in the back of his um, on his back, which was called a sacral dimple, and we had to go through the whole rigmarole of the system which ended up with him having an MRI when he was only two days old and
0: mm.
1: you know you end up in those as parents it certainly builds your resilience right
0: yeah 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 and so what was the um was there a diagnosis out of that or yeah what was the um outcome of that MRI yeah, we-
1: it was very interesting. It was, it's an awful process. I mean, like, this yeah. is the reason why we founded 10, which is our um, healthcare business. And it was really based off that experience with Layla about access to healthcare and, you know, access to experts, really. And when mm. we had, when we had Charlie, they said, Oh, he's got this thing on his back, which is quite unusual and it's quite deep and it's a dimple in the back of his um, lower back. And, you know, maybe it requires more investigation. Maybe we should get the pediatricians to look at him. And then the pediatricians came when we were in recovery and they said, oh, you know, um, yeah, look, this is unusual. This is probably on the spectrum where we'd consider that this is a bit abnormal. So, yeah, okay, well, we'll do an ultrasound, but you can come back for an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And, look, this was in level three of the pandemic and, you know, all being in lockdown. And I basically said to the hospital, well, no, like if you want to do an ultrasound on my newborn baby, I'm staying in hospital. You know, I'm not leaving. Mm. This is, you know, I'm staying here until you do the, the ultrasound of him. Thank mm. you very much. Um, um, and, then, um, and then they did the ultrasound on him. And, you know, you're in that room and, you know, the radiologist is looking at the results and they go, hmm. Yeah, look, I, I think we're going to need an MRI on this. And it just, get, you know, it got progressively worse yeah, from the initial yeah. person saying, well, this is not really a big deal. Maybe we should consult the pediatricians. The pedi- pediatricians going, oh, well, this isn't a big deal. Maybe we'll do an ultrasound. And then yeah. the ultrasound person going, oh, well, maybe this is worse. We actually need to get an MRI. Yeah. And so it was this downward spiral. And what the concern was that he would have spina bifida and right. that there was an opening in his lower spine, which would, uh, you know, c- completely... Um changed the outlook for him, you mm-hmm. know in terms of how he would live and, and the health and uh, I, I you know i don't I have no words for parents who go through this mm-hmm. where the diagnosis is different from ours, but Charlie went through the mRI and they did diagnose him with a low lying conus, which means that um while he wasn't at risk of spina bifida in the end, he was at risk for something called tethered cord syndrome mm-hmm. and um we uh, went through a journey subsequently to that um, to kind of get to the bottom of it and understand what, what, what the diagnosis was, what, what the outlook was. And we had another MRI for him when he was about three months. And we sought um, expert advice out of the children's hospitals, both in Stanford in uh, America and at Great Ormond Street Hospital in the UK. And while Stanford um, recommended that we have early intervention surgery for Charlie, um, Great Ormond Street's um Specialists there said that they they didn't recommend surgery, and so mm. in the end, you know, we've decided to not proceed with surgery for Charlie because we believe that he's very low risk, yeah. and that you know, doing spinal surgery, which is neurological, um, mm. you know, after we'd seen after they did the initial MRI, they said, oh well, look, we're not going to discuss the results with you, mm. but the the head of neurology is going to come and see you, and you can imagine after giving yeah. birth, you're three days in hospital. And you've gone from something not being a problem to you having to wait in hospital and they're actually holding you there because the head of neurology wants to come and see you and talk about Mm. the outlook for your baby. You're feeling pretty scared. Yeah. So that really took the joy out of that process with Charlie in hospital. You know, we just went silent. We didn't communicate with anyone. We just kind of announced the birth of him and then just went off the the grid until we'd resolved it largely. Mm. um and yeah, subsequently, I'm I'm happy to say that you know while Charlie might still develop symptoms at some point in his life, right now he's not symptomatic, and you know he's developing normally. You know, for a seven month old, very normally. In fact, he's crawling, he's, he's standing, he's you know he's doing really well with his motor skills. And while that might change as he grows older, at this point we feel pretty confident about the fact that we don't want to have you yeah. know intervention surgery that early for for a little baby when you know it's questionable whether or not he needs it so you know it's been an interesting process it's for sure yeah
0: yep yeah, for sure and how have you gone um adding a baby to a family with you know like a relatively big um age gap I guess like you said yeah. that Layla was six right um
1: she's six, so she's
0: yeah it's a yeah. shock
1: oh my yeah, god yeah and you know it's, it's 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 a wonderful thing it's a privilege yeah. because I can literally you know Tom and Layla help with Charlie like I can go and have a shower because I'll watch him and I feel confident yeah. that he'll do it you know Tom carries him around um and I mean Tom is like a little mini adult right like he's like a little yeah. mini there's nothing else he's a teenager so he's amazing with his little brother and just um totally committed and so is Layla. Mm-hmm. so I find it I worry about guilt. Like I worry about the fact that Layla and Tom at times can't do things because they've got a younger sibling that they have to think about and that they get excluded unintentionally or not, you know, or can't attend things because of the fact that we've got a baby to take home, right? At the same time, I see it as a really short period of time and the level of empathy that they've built for their little brother, the level of love that they have for him, how their hearts have expanded. It is magical, you know. It genuinely is. and. You know, people worry so much about age gaps with children, about what's right and what's wrong, and yeah. there's just no right and wrong. No, just, there oh,
0: isn't. <laughs> there's yeah. no right
1: and wrong, right? Yeah. Like we could have had an eighteen, we could have had an eighteen-month gap between Tom and his sibling, and that didn't eventually yeah. for reasons yeah. which were outside of our control. And so there is no, there's no perfect gap, and yeah. our 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 gap has got lots of benefits and lots of downfalls, and so does yeah. every gap, right? Yeah. So you know, I'm really comfortable with the fact that. Um, that, you know, we made the right decision for our family, you know, mm. and, um, and that, you know, while it might feel tough when you're in this hole as a, as a parent who's had, you know, two kids before, and I even felt like this with Layla. You're so acutely aware that the phases go really quickly. Yeah, you know that time that you feel like, you know, I was up. I've literally had two and a half hours sleep last night because obviously Charlie's got COVID and he's teething, and Mm. um, it's just a nightmare, honestly. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) And so, and and Tom is really sick with COVID, and Layla is, you know, oh, I just honestly. So anyway, so so you know, while the days are really long and I'm really tired. I know that the years are short and I'm really trying to cherish that because I know yeah. that, um, you know, I looked at him today and you, you should do the same because you're looking at them now and they're going to be twice their age at Christmas. Like <laughs> oh, they're, I know. they're going to be like 14 months. Like mm. they're going to be a whole different little person who's going to be running down to the beach with their bucket and their spade yeah. and going temper tantrums, you mm. know. I'm quite looking forward to that. So it's quite <laughs> nice to be able to know, what to, you know, what's next
0: yeah yeah for sure now I can relate to that definitely well Cecilia I really loved talking to you today I think yeah you've obviously suffered through some incredible trauma but um, you've got three beautiful babies and I've really loved hearing you talk about all of that and I'm just grateful that you were willing to come on the podcast and share with us so yeah I just thank you for joining me thank you so much for having me Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope you have enjoyed it, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next week. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love